views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. So excited to have you joining us. Man, what a cool show we have this week. So much great stuff to talk about. Two awesome guests and one fantastic co-host. JC, how's it going, man? How's it going, Ryan? I am Fantastic co-host. I know. Is it, I, you're, you're definitely <laughs> among the favorites. You are someone I very much enjoy talking to. Uh, super funny, uh, super just talented, knowledgeable about the music industry, but I know you Absolutely. bring it on the pop culture as well. Just Don't marvelous. stop. Go on. Moi, chef's Go kiss. On. That's what it's going to be. It's just the whole show is 60 <laughs> minutes of me praising you effusively. I hope you're ready for it. But ready. it's all warranted, and... It's been a while since we've had a chance to talk, JC, and it's been an extra week since we had a chance to talk because we actually went dark last week because we had this whole debacle. We were going to oh, have no. Congressman Ted Deutsch on the show last week. and yeah, it was supposed to be the biggest week ever. I was so excited, and we are going to have him. Scouts honor. We are currently in talks with Rep Deutsch's office to get him back on the show. He really does want to talk to us. That's not just a, a, a bit that you keep going for, you know, like, oh, Congressman Deutsch is going to be on next week. And this is the thing that you do every week. You're on the rest me. of the yeah. show. For, for 25 years, we're going to be pulling this. Right. Because yeah. th that's the host, that that's the guest I'm dangling in front of people to keep them coming on a, you oh, know, yeah. a backbenching congressman from some random county in Florida. That's, that's what's mm -hmm. bringing them in. He's actually going to be a great guest, though. He is, okay. you know, he is probably the most progressive voice when it comes for advocating for indie creators. We're going to get him on the show. I spoke with his press secretary a couple days ago. Turns out, JC, they're kind of busy in Congress right now. Like, what? apparently there's this, what? like, no. debt ceiling thing and infrastructure and uh, being on break the business is, like, you know, maybe number four on his list. But Yeah, like, apparently sometimes the government could just run out of money. Yeah. Like, sometimes they do that. And, you know, understood, same, very That's same. so, yeah, it's it's very, I wish I could, like, when clients are just, like, coming after me to, like, you know, get work done for them, I wish I could just be like, look, I really want to take care of this, but I need Congress to raise my work ceiling. Um, and yeah. until they do, like, look, I really wanted to get this work done for me, for your client, but Joe Manchin says that we got to get, like, a bunch of other Republicans to sign off on it first, so, uh, sorry, no can do. And yeah, I need uh, to tell yeah. Visa and MasterCard that I need to raise my debt ceiling. <laughs> time or two, the holidays are coming. <laughs> We're so topical and, and newsy this week on Break the Business. We are. I'm excited to talk to him. We're going to have him on probably in the new year. In the meantime, though, lots of great guests coming, including our guests this week. And that's right. I said guests, plural. Yeah. That happened. We got two fantastic guests, both named Taryn. We are your resource for awesome guests named Taryn, and they're both Taryn with a Y. Joining us after the break is going to be Taryn Marie Stayskull, Dr. Taryn Marie Stayskull. I'm always for calling out the doctors when I can. 
She's the founder of the Resilience Leadership Institute, and we're also joined by Taryn Haight, the head of strategy at Hi-Fi Labs. These two have collaborated together on a publication called EQ, the first online issue of which talks about resiliency in independent creators. Uh, have you ever heard of this as like a psychological concept, JC, this idea of no, resiliency? Not really. Yeah, yeah, I'm new to it too. Resilience. Resilience. I mean, we know what it kind of means in the abstract. Like, like if you're resilient, sure. like you're you're tough and and like you know you don't let things you know in the face of adversity you remain strong. And yeah, like my debt ceiling has been quite resilient. <laughs> it's been remarkable. <laughs> my my inability to pay my bills has been remarkably yes. resilient. In the Very face resilient. Of, in the face of debt, it's collectors. consistent and resilient. So, well, as I learned in the course of prepping for this interview, is that resiliency is apparently also the psych psychological concept that refers to like a person's ability to address change and do so in a way where they are enhanced by the experience and not diminished. Okay. And it turns out musicians and independent creators who are resilient tend to be very successful because it turns out these people they face a lot of adversity. Yeah, it's oh, a yeah. it's a it's a thing for them. And so we're going to talk with Dr. Stayskull and Taryn Haight about strategies to be resilient as indie creators, the habits of resilient people, and why indie creators in particular tend to be predisposed to experiencing adversity and the kind of adversity that indie creators face. So you're going to get some actionable oh, yeah. strategies to be more resilient. So we're all going to learn something this week. I'm excited for that. I cannot wait. Yeah. I think we can, we can all use, you know, we, we, all, we all are handling our own demons i think learning a thing or two about <laughs> resiliency would be good for all of us yeah so we got creatives for sure yeah I could we got two great guests telling us all about it that's coming up after the break but first jc a couple cool legal stories i wanted to talk to you about this week the first one a listener question you know i love the listener Ooh. questions around here and i'll say this jc in the last few weeks the listeners they're getting a little more modern right they're 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 getting with the times like my the old listener questions way? Well, the old listener questions I used to get, it was a lot of like, you know, oh, uh, should, when do I register my copyrights? Or do I write the music first or the lyrics first when I write a song? Really old school kind of music industry questions. Just break the business 101. That's right. But now today, man, it's, it is 2020 bleeping one. And the questions we're getting <laughs> are modern. So I got this great listener question about NFTs that I oh, wanted to talk with people about. old friend. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that old school technology. You remember when uh, when Bobby Darren and the Temptations used to put out their NFTs and yeah, yes. exactly. Well, so interesting NFT question the listener wrote in. He wrote to and said, uh, "Break the business. I want to make an NFT of one of my tracks. Pretty cool. But a label released my track. Can I still make an NFT of the track if I wrote the song?" Uh, lot going on there. Interesting question. It, it implicates multiple forms of copyright, which is always fun. But yes. we should probably start by just quickly explaining what an NFT is. And I'm come at this by saying I am I know that whatever definition I give by the way of an NFT, there's going to be some tech person who's be like that's not what an NFT is. You're wrong. And you know, we okay, so I preface this by saying my definition of an NFT is going to anger people, and they're going to say you didn't say it exactly right. I understand that I don't have 14 degrees in engineering. Well, you got to okay. break down all the parts. You got to break down the non, the yeah. fungible, and the token. Parts. And the token. So right. Start with non. That's right. Start with non. <laughs> non. Delicious. I love not. Non. It's oh. great with Indian oh. food. Oh yeah, you get some. Oh God, I want some non. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. See, this is the thing is, I live in Miami. I can't get good non. Like, there's, <laughs> it's not like I got a non place around the corner. You live in Portland. There's probably like three non places within walking distance. Yeah, it's called all non. <laughs> the non district. Yeah, it's the non district. <laughs> Like a Simpsons joke? <laughs> this one was like a really Hank Scorpio Simpsons joke, yes. Well, so here, here's kind of just the, the general idea. An NFT is like a certificate, a digital certificate authenticity, usually for a digital asset. So with a lot of digital assets, one of the problems with them for a lot of indie creators is that they're infinitely replicable. I can make infinite copies of a MP3, for example. And when you can make infinite of something, it tends to make diminish the value of what it is because you have infinite of them. So by yeah. uh, an NFT is a digital certificate of authenticity that exists on the blockchain that can tell the world that you have a unique version of a digital asset. Because you can make you know as few as one NFT of a digital asset, it ascribes uniqueness to it. And with uniqueness, at least in theory, comes value becomes valuable. A lot of NFTs aren't worth anything, but certain NFTs, like uh, Jack Dorsey of Twitter, put out an NFT of his very first tweet, and I think he sold it for six figures. So, depending on the circumstances, having that uniqueness on your NFT can mean it's worth a lot of money. So, so I mean, even with that said, a, a tweet, when does that go from just the tweet to the NFT, the token? Is it just putting it on the blockchain and ascribing someone's ownership to it that says, hey, now now that's an NFT and someone owns it. Or what creates that transformation? Because it was just a tweet. That, well, and, and it always is just a tweet, right? And like the, the people that, you know, the, pe the anti-NFT people like to say things like, oh yeah, your NFT is so great. I just clicked right-click save as and I got your NFT. Like yes. you don't own, you know, you don't own the, the a, you know, a cop, the only copy of a digital asset. Again, digital assets for the most part are infinitely replicable. So you can't, yes. you know, you know, I, I can look at a copy of Jack Dorsey's first tweet right now without having the NFT to it. But think of the NFT as say the first edition of, of a book, right? Like there could be many versions of a book. I can, you know, read, uh, you know, the great Gatsby. But if you have a first edition of The Great Gatsby, the text of The Great Gatsby might be the same. But by having that first edition that was presumably in a limited printing, you have a special version of that book and you can prove it, right? And, and so that's what an NFT is. It's not saying that like you have the only copy of Jack Dorsey's tweet. It's saying that you have this special copy of Jack Dorsey's tweet and you have a cert digital certificate of authenticity that proves that it's a special version. And by having that uniqueness and scarcity, there could be value there. Now, granted, as I said before, there are many NFTs that are worthless. Like, it, the, it only has the value that the marketplace ascribes to it. But There are only in so many animated pictures of monkeys that can actually have values. Uh, or, 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 or Pepe the Frog versions of animated characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... A lot of artists want to get into this space, and there are some examples of musicians who have sold NFT versions of songs, of visual art, of other digital assets, and have made good money from it. So this listener wants to get in on the fun and says, hey, I wrote this song. A label released the song I wrote after I recorded it with this label. Can I make an NFT of this recording? And so now the general rule is... You cannot make, legally cannot make an NFT of something 
unless you have the copyright to that work or have been licensed the right to make the NFT of that work from the copyright holder. When you make an NFT of a digital work, you are inherently making a derivative work. You are inherently distributing, selling, lease, lending a work. Those are all exclusive rights of a copyright holder. So if I, if JC, if you paint something, if you paint a picture and you own the copyright to the picture because you're the author, and I make an NFT of your painting without your permission, you could come after me for that. Oh, and by the way, if sure. if you notice that your copyrighted work is being sold on an NFT webpage, you know, if somebody made an NFT of your work without your permission, you see it on one of these popular NFT platforms, you can absolutely bring a DMCA takedown notice against that platform and make sure that your copyrighted work gets protected. So for this yep. letter writer, if we're assuming that this, you know, this person has a label deal and the label, as in many cases under these record deal record deals, owns the master, which means they own the copyright in the sound recording. You most likely cannot make an NFT of your album without the label's permission, even if you wrote the original song. And by the way, there could be situations where maybe you're in a record deal where you own the master, but you might still not be able to make an NFT of your track because so. you. Well, because you probably license that track to the label. And most of these record deals that involve a license, you're usually giving the label ex some exclusive rights over that track. And so you're most likely still going to need the label's permission. But in those cases, you want to read your record agreement. You want to talk to a lawyer, have them look at your record deal and see what you can do there. I have heard of some artists who do have tracks that are signed to a label and they work with their label to create an NFT version of their track because they think this could be a, a revenue stream. And most likely the label's going to say, sure, but we're going to wet our beak on this. And we're, you know, <laughs> the label's going to want to get their cut. But that, but, but please do not make an NFT of something, even if you are one of the artists on it, unless you are sure that you have the rights to do it. And most likely right. if you're signed to a record deal, you don't have those rights. So that's the short answer. Now, I preface all that by the stuff we said in the intro. This is all informational entertainment purposes. Your cases are unique, not legal advice, blah, blah, blah. But thought it was interesting. Oh, and speaking of interesting news, JC, uh, before we yeah. go to break here and bring in uh, uh, Taryn Haight and Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekul, wanted to, you were talking to me before the show about a pretty interesting trademark thing that popped up involving some video games, right? Yeah, there's this great game. And before we even get into that, have you, you've heard of the game because, you know, we talked about it before the show. It Takes Two, right? I love this game. It looks so adorable. I haven't played it yet um, you, because... You should definitely get it. Play it with the wife. It does take two to play this game. Yeah, it's, it's a two-player co-op game, right? <laughs> yes, uh, where, you know, each person plays a doll, there's this really interesting family story dynamic of there's a bit of a, a divorce I issue going on, sort of spoilers, but, you know, that's that's pretty early on in the game where you're playing two parents that sort of have to find their way through co-parenting by being these fantasy dolls of their young daughter. And so you're, it's very Honey, I Shrunk the Kids I'm getting those vibes, yeah. <laughs> so it's the cutest Just waiting game. for the giant uh, ant to show up. Uh, well, 
you don't have to wait very long. Oh, really? Uh, definitely <laughs> give it a look. Uh, it's got really awesome stuff like that. Uh, it Takes Two is the name of the game, and they have recently been, uh, you know, a, a part of a takedown dispute of their trademark. Um, so you probably know a little bit more about trademarks disputes than I would as a non-lawyered person here on the podcast. Uh, but what I've heard is that there's a bit of a dispute between them and another company called Take-Two, uh, which is a publisher uh, that has kind of forced them to abandon their trademark in some way. What do you think of that? Um, yeah, a lot of people are talking about this one, and it's uh, pretty interesting. I, I love a good trademark soap opera. It gets it gets all of uh, trademark lawyer Twitter a flutter. It's a uh, it's a lot oh, yeah, of fun. Main, mainly because all the <laughs> trademark lawyers on Twitter get super angry when these stories come out because there's always at least one article that reports on this story where they mix up copyright and trademark. And they oh, say, absolutely. you know, oh, this is uh uh you know, take two or you know, it takes two infringed on uh it takes two's copyright, and so they're suing them for trademark infringement or something like that, and it just makes all the lawyers angry. <laughs> Because they're like, no, garble, copyright, garble. trademark are different. Brr. And that's they're always the, fun to make the, the lawyers same. mad all over again. <laughs> but Meanwhile, I over, I'm over here thinking they're mostly the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, admit it, lawyer, they're the same. They're yeah. not the same. Copyright yeah. law protects I mean, uh, exclusive rights to creative works. Trademark law protects a trademark holder's right to a brand in, the, in use of commerce. Right. Now, I, I will say from the outset, Everything I've seen about this game, the It Takes Two game, looks adorable. I wish my wife were, were into video games so that we could play this together. <laughs> it's 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 really beautiful, really well done, quite a lovely game. And so a lot of people are mad at Take Two Interactive, I think is the name. They're the yeah. folks behind Rockstar Games and all this stuff because they're saying, oh, uh, It Takes Two just tried to, you know, they're coming after them for suing them for trademark infringement. This poor little yeah. independent game studio. And look, you know me, I love fighting for the <laughs> indies as much as the next guy. But in this case, this is just something where we all have to take our deep breath. Here's what happened, okay? The okay. folks that made It Takes Two, um, whose uh, the name escapes me at the moment. Starts Hazelite? Some... Hazelite, thank you. Yeah. yeah, Hazelite tried to register a trademark in the title of their game. Okay. Which, by the way... Uh, generally, it's hard to get trademarks in a title. Uh, usually, can't trademark titles of things because that's not that's Why not a that? brand. It's a it's the title of something. Like you can't trademark. No. So, for example, you can trademark a series of things. So, like you could trademark the phrase Harry Potter, because Harry Potter corresponds to a series of books or movies. But if there was only one Harry Potter book and it was named Harry Potter, you probably <laughs> couldn't get trademark Harry rights Potter. in Harry Potter. <laughs> there is only one Harry. Potter. But and so I'm guessing if these folks went through with their trademark and just said that they were going to to get a trademark in it takes two because it's the title of their game, they'd probably have a hard time getting that trademark registration through. But it didn't even get to that point because Take Two Interactive filed what's called an opposition. So as this was going through the trademark process, the trademark lawyer bean counters over at uh, Take Two Interactive, who just spend all day searching the trademark database for anybody who files a trademark that has the word take or two in it and then it's like the trademark opposition. version of just like google searching your name all the time 
and yes, that's. I, I want to tell okay. you that that's. It's more complicated than that, but it's not more not, complicated than that. No. And so yeah, this this mark came in that says that they're going to try to register. It takes two in video games, and this is a video game company with the name Take Two. They said it's too close, and they filed an opposition. And once that opposition came in, it looks like Hazel Light just took down the uh, trademark registration. Does that mean that the video game is not going to be able to use that title anymore? Probably not. I don't think that Take Two is going to take it any further than that. This is just simple trademark practice and procedure. But I think the lesson it tells anybody who's out there registering trademarks is before you register a trademark, do a trademark search in the USPTO database. In the goods and services category, you can hire a trademark search firm or a lawyer to do it. We talked about this on a previous show, but before you try to get a federal trademark in anything, you want to check the, check the trademark database for registered trademarks, and then you want to check Google and see if any companies are using this name as an unregistered trademark, because either one of those could have priority over your trademark or registration. And that's a pretty simple initial step for any trademark filing so that you can avoid these kind of nasty grams that this indie studio is currently confronting. Yeah. It really avoid is a the beautiful mess. game. Though. Yeah, avoid Google the mess. is your friend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we talked about this on a pr prior show, but we can sort of, like, there are two great music trademark examples of what happens if you fail to do either one of these. If you fail to either do a USPTO trademark search on the actual database or failing to do a Google search. Like, there are two bands that ran into trademark problems with this. The first one that we've talked about before was the band Five Seconds of Summer. So they oh. used to have this logo. You remember, like, the tally marks that they had, the five marks, or the five oh, yeah, tally yeah, marks yeah. in the five seconds of summer? And they had that logo for a few years, and now we don't see it anymore, right? Well, no. the reason why is because another band had that as their logo. They had a similar-looking trademark. And this was a situation where had they had a lawyer do a trademark search, it would have come up in a search because that other five, one, two, three, four, five tally mark that five seconds of summer used as the logo, it was already a registered trademark before they came in and tried to get their <laughs> logo. So a simple trademark search would have caught that one and saved five seconds of summer a lot of headaches because a lot of their fans were upset when they had to get rid of that trademark. Like people loved that little logo. They put it on their backpacks and stuff. And so it kind of created some headaches for the band. So that's what happens when you don't check the trademark database. What happens when you don't check Google is a uh, rather unfortunate occurrence for the country band Lady A. Lady Antebellum. Yes. The, Formerly the, known as... The erstwhile as Lady, Antebellum. Lady Antebellum, who had a bit of a public relations mess where... In light of changing attitudes uh, towards you know, racial justice and all that, they wanted to drop the name Antebellum in their name because of the you know, pre-Civil War connotation and everything. So they, ch they, they wanted to change their name to Lady A and even registered a trademark in, in Lady A. And so they're like, all right, we registered I, the trademark. We did a trademark search. Honest, it's clean. I, I, I literally just looked this up because I said, I totally remember – uh, hearing about this, and I wondered if this was a trademark dispute because I'm sure you will go on and say why this was a trademark dispute. Yes. Well, so right. So this lawyer like did a trademark search and it was like nobody else has got Lady A in the music industry. No We're all set. <laughs> Except they didn't do the second half where they checked Google because they would have found a Seattle-based blues singer that had the name Lady A and was using it 
in uh, in the Seattle area for years before years. Lady A decided to be Lady A. And so what they had was a situation where an unregistered trademark potentially had priority over their registered trademark because the unregistered one came first. And it's, you know, I think it's still getting sorted out in the courts right now, but it created a public relations mess because they had changed their name because of the, you know, racial issues of having a name like Antebellum. And then they wound up being a situation where they had to trample a black blues singer who had this name before them. Poor black lady that had been using Lady A for years. Well, this is why legal stuff matters, man. Like, you know. Like nobody wants this to like what... talk to a lawyer until you get into some like you know nasty racial dispute because nobody did a Google search. Yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> I, well, before you brought up nasty racial dispute, I was going to say this is the kind of stuff that gets Ryan up in the morning. Uh, <laughs> this is the drama. This is the the true good stuff of trademark and music where it just kind of all meets and gets real messy. I'll say this. It's much more fun to talk about on a podcast. I do not envy the <laughs> lawyers that are currently experiencing this, although I'm sure they're probably getting enough in legal fees to put all of their kids through college. But oh, yeah. still, uh, it can't be fun. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. But uh, unlike those lawyers who are not going through great times right now, we here on this program have some great times ahead because coming up after the break, we get to talk to Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel and Taryn Haight uh, from the Resistance Leadership Institute and Hi-Fi Labs, respectively, to talk all about resilience and indie creators. And that's coming up right away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development and streaming services for more information visit lekentertainment.com lek entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life thanks for supporting break the business if you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com you can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody, on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, YouTube, and Sirius XM, Channel 145, and all the major podcast platforms, wherever you're checking us out. We're happy to have you here. All of Welcome them. back, JC. Yeah, it's just too many platforms. It's uh, oh, yeah. 
and we love each and every one of them and so excited for what we're bringing them here in the next segment. We got two excellent guests, JC, for the price of one this week. Let me tell you all about them. The first is the founder of the Resilience Leadership Institute and is one of the world's foremost efforts on the concept of resilience and the role it plays in leadership, creativity, and innovation. Our second guest is the head of strategy at Hi-Fi Labs, and our guests are partnering to build out a resiliency program to support creative professionals. Love this. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting eq.house and www.resilience-leadership.com. We are happy to welcome Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel and Taryn Haight on to Break the Business. Hello to you both. Thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Hi, all. Hi. Thanks for uh, I, having us. I was just thinking to myself, we haven't had nearly enough Terrans on this show in our illustrious history. <laughs> and so we just want to get our fill of Terrans this week. And thankfully, you both came uh, for us. We're yeah, going to pick that right up for you. No more paucity of Terrans. And, and, and both Terran with a Y, by the way, which is just terrific. It's the best kind of Terran, right? Like all the, the other Terrans, we don't need those. Yeah, it's the only kind of Terran in my opinion. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Terrans with other vowels. We just happen to be a little biased. We acknowledge our bias, though. It's conscious. That's right. Did this, did this project come about after the International Terran with a Y meetup, or <laughs> was there another way that you guys found each other? Pure, oh, pure fate, I think, that brought us together. Yeah. So... Let's talk. Let's talk to Taryn Hate first. So, Taryn, you and your team at Hi-Fi Labs created a new platform called EQ, a community-based resource network for music industry professionals. You're bringing a lot of terrific creators into this or contributors into this platform, including uh, Dr. Stayskull. Can you tell us a little bit about what EQ is and uh, some of the resources you're providing? Yeah, of course. So uh, one of our biggest focus areas at Hi-Fi Labs is on artist development. We found that there was a lack of resources in true, proper artist development in the industry. So we focus on surrounding artists in all aspects of their career. And of course, one avenue that's extremely important that's been lacking over the years is mental health and resiliency, especially for early stage artists um, and something else that was really important to us having worked at labels and agencies and management um, our team is from all over the board we found it really important to make all of our findings open to the public so what we've decided to do with eq is create um, a website eq.house where people can go artists their teams and each month we'll have or each quarter we'll have an issue focused on um, a various area of the music industry that needs improvement. So our first issue, which we found to be the most important, is resiliency. And of course, um, Dr. Taryn is working with us to build out a resiliency program for our hi-fi artists. And we wanted to make a lot of that information public and really open up the conversation to artists, their teams, anyone else in the music industry to help us kind of solve this problem together, um, see what people need, and from our side, from the industry side, help fill in the gaps. That's great stuff. And JC, I think we can agree that of all the top-level domains that exist, dot .house has to be the best one, right? <laughs> I mean, Very we need to make dot .house happen across the board. Like, I want to get break the business dot .house and just bring everybody to that. Like, dot .com, we could just, just get rid of that. Dot .house <laughs> is the world now. 
Yes, I, I agree with you, Taryn, that resiliency is a great topic for you guys to start this publication with. And I've had a pretty great time in preparation for this interview just learning about what resiliency is as a psychological concept. Obviously, we know what it is as just a dictionary definition, but you know, in term but what it is in psychology and what it means for indie creators, endlessly fascinating. So I want to ask uh, Dr. Stayskull, and, and and how should I address you? Dr. Stayskull, I've also seen Dr. Tara Marie. What works best for you? Sure. I mean, call me, you know. Give me a call. However you want. Uh, Dr. Tara Marie Dothouse, it's me. Thank you. Okay, that's <laughs> what we're talking about. There we go. That's, all right, Dr. Tara Marie Dothouse, I want to talk to you about this idea of resilience because I've been told you know a thing or two about this subject area. And by a thing or two, you're like basically the expert on it. So the definition that you provided for resilience as a psychological concept, and I'll just read this right from your page here. Resilience is the ability to effectively address challenge, change, and complexity in a manner that allows us to be enhanced by the experience and not diminish. So resilience as a concept is not just about withstanding adversity, but it's actually about growing and being enhanced by it. Do I have that right? You got it. You are such a wonderful, resilient student. A plus to you, Ryan. <laughs> oh. He loves that kind of stuff. Keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, well, so how does that, so how do you see that apply to creatives in your work? I, I know that you've, you've noted in your writings in the past that creative professionals they tend to have a particularly strong need to build this resilience, both because creatives tend to face a lot of different forms of adversity, but also, and this is something that I guess I've always intuited, but I never really you know, proved to be true, but it makes sense, is this idea that creative professionals tend to also be genetically predisposed in a way to struggle with their mental health and to be more vulnerable to adverse events. C can you reflect on those notions? So many, um, so many great questions and thoughts there. I love that. So let me start by saying that resilience is is really the the business of being human. And whether we're a creative person or we've made our way through COVID nineteen, you know, the last two years, which is all of us, right? We all have this tremendous opportunity when a moment of challenge, change, or complexity arrives in our life, which is inevitable, right? It's it's not if, it's when, to be able to figure out how can we harness, right, the tools and resources that are at our disposal to create a more positive and productive outcome. So briefly, this all started for me in, in a couple of ways. One, you know, to your point, Ryan, I looked in that I looked at that dictionary definition of resilience and I couldn't understand it. It was circular in a way, right? To be resilient, you know, to be resilient means to demonstrate resilience and resilience means to be resilient. And I was like, I, I, I don't get it, you know? And, you know, on top of that, my career initially started where I was um, doing a pre and postdoctoral fellowship with people with brain injuries and spinal cord injuries. And that's a very long-term rehabilitation. So I'd be in our outpatient clinic and I'd be meeting with our patients and I'd be looking at their prognosis and I'd be looking at the person sitting in front of me and they were two very different people. You know, what we thought would happen for people and what actually happened in their rehabilitation were two different things. 
And so oftentimes people were doing better than we thought or not as well as we thought. And I thought, let's figure out what we can learn from the folks who are doing better to enhance you know, the resilience of folks on rehabilitation from brain injury. And let's figure out what might be holding folks back that we can kind of mediate those consequences. So then when you sort of jump over to this idea of being creative, right? Because resilience is, is, is for all of us, right? Not just for you know, creative folks. And, right, we know that the, the music industry is like this tremendously beautiful, exciting place that's also terrifically difficult to navigate and saturated with incredible talent. And so many people who have beautiful, raw talent and potential, you know, I think in Hi-Fi Labs, you know, is responding to this opportunity to really shepherd artists on their path and to help them navigate the industry while allowing them to focus on their on their craft on their on their talent so when we think about this for creative artists then it's really about sort of the the specificity of you know what are the you know traditional or common challenges complexities changes that artists are going to face how can we anticipate that and in creating the, the EQ community, right, we're not only sort of anticipating the challenges that they'll face, but also providing a community of practice and, and of support that, you know, by the way, is open to everyone um, to help shepherd that journey. And the last part of your question, which I think is so important, and my, I, I want to acknowledge that my answer is informed in part by Elizabeth Gilbert and her beautiful book, uh, Big Magic. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert in her TED Talk, you know, she's the author of um, uh, Eat, Pray, Love and a variety of other books, best known for Eat, Pray, Love, I think. You know, she talks about this misnomer that creative folks, um, you know, somehow sort of need to live at the edge of breakdown or collapse or addiction or, you know, be hanging by sort of a, a mental health thread. And I think that's really a misnomer in our society, you know. Um, and I think when we give people who are creative the permission to say, you know what, you don't have to have a, an, an angsty, difficult life to still make beautiful art, then we take away this expectation that somehow life has to be tumultuous or difficult to be able to make beautiful things. I I love that sentiment. And I'm all about trying to use this program and, and this platform and all the people involved with it. We're all here to try to create a, a more well-adjusted industry. And we want creators to be in a better place. And so Bringing this back to this idea of resilience, and you've dedicated your career to fostering resilience throughout various professions, including creative professionals. And so I would imagine that dedicating your life to that study would presuppose that you feel that resiliency isn't just something you could be born with, but that you could actually train people to be resilient, that resiliency is a muscle that people can build with you know, the right interventions and activities. So how do we build these resiliency muscles? How can creative professionals specifically become more resilient? Are there concrete strategies? Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. It, and many of the answers will pertain not just to creative professionals, but, but to all of us. So, you know, if you see 
some elements of yourself, you know, in here for the folks, you know, listening. And that's a great thing. I mean, the first sort of the, the entree to resilience is recognizing that anytime we face challenge, change, or complexity, we have a choice about how we respond. You know, we can react or we can respond. A reaction is unconscious, right? Um, Viktor Frankl said, in the space between stimulus and response, we have a choice. And so when we recognize that we have a choice about how we respond to a particular circumstance, now we're starting to go down the path of resilience because the next uh, element of this is to say, okay, the um, sympathetic nervous system, right? The, the cortisol, the things that get us fired up, whether the stress is good or whether we kind of get to a, an angsty place, right? It tells us we have three choices fight, flight, or freeze. Our parasympathetic system, which comes behind that and calms us down, says, no, 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 you have many more choices beyond this in that space of stimulus and response. And the next step is to understand the myths of resilience that block our ability to harness this important concept. So one of the first myths of resilience is to recognize, akin to that definition that you read, Ryan, was that we talk about bouncing back, you know, all the time without really thinking about it. I'm the type of person when people share a phrase or I read something, I think to myself, is that true for me? Has that been my experience? Right. And what I realized is we don't bounce back. You know, neuropsychology tells us that every experience that we have fundamentally and forever changes us down to the neurological cellular level. So we allow ourselves to be fundamentally and forever changed by our experiences. We don't expect that we're going to go back the way we were before a challenge, before a change, before a complexity. We allow ourselves to bounce forward, to take that new information, those new aspects of ourselves, the new relationships that we've built, and to let go of things you know, in the past that are no longer serving us. So the first myth is that we bounce back. The second myth is recognizing that we allow ourselves to be changed by our experience because there's so many people out there who still believe, and that's all right, that resilience is is synonymous with with Teflon, you know, that we're not Mm. going to be changed or we shouldn't be changed, right, by, by what is in our past. You know, the second myth, to your point, Ryan, is that, um, we get to build, or we're not inoculated with sort of a fixed amount of resilience, but we get to build this resilience over time, like we would get bigger muscles at the gym or enhance our cardiovascular ability if we're, you know, training for a, a running race, right? And then the third piece of resilience is that resilience is active. It's about actively engaging in what's happening in our path. It's not about numbing. It's not about escaping. It's not about pretending it doesn't exist or about pushing away our feelings, but actively engaging in what's happening for us. And once we start to recognize that we have a choice, that there are some myths that block our understanding of resilience, that all of us are resilient and we can continue to enhance these gifts over time, then what my research has led me to is the five practices of particularly resilient people. So having interviewed hundreds of people and collected thousands of pieces of data, these are the five things that any of us can do anytime we face challenge, change, and complexity 
to create a more positive and productive outcome. I got to hear them. Let's do it. <laughs> what are, right. I, I feel like right. I'm talking so much, so I'll try to. No, this is they this hear, look. The listeners they hear from me every week. We want them yes. to hear from you, <laughs> and. I feel like identifying, you know, the 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 five practices of highly resilient people would be uh, super intriguing for all of us. And you know, I want to kind of model that resilient behavior. And and yes, this is selfishly for me too. Like I want to be, I want to learn to be more resilient, just as all these indie creators do. So lay it on us, please. Yeah, and we we all do, right? I mean, there's that's that's the beautiful thing about resilience. There's no downside. You know, there's so many moments where we're like, ah, oh, well, do this, but then that. You know, it's like. This is a win-win for everyone. So the foundational practice of resilience is the practice of vulnerability. And I asked people essentially, how had they effectively addressed challenge in their lives or how had they faced a significant challenge? And that's what informed the ways in which people were already you know, being resilient in the face of challenges. So the first practice is the practice of resilience. It's allowing our inside self, our thoughts, feelings and experience to as closely as possible match the outside self that we show to the world. In psychology, we call this congruence, right? What's happening on the inside is congruent with the face and the person that we're showing to the world. Now, this is a lifelong process. And we may be more congruent in some environments with some people and less congruent in some environments with other people. So why does vulnerability make us resilient? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Well, it, it seems almost counterintuitive, right? Like we would, right. I feel like we would often tell people, oh, if you want to be resilient, like don't make yourself vulnerable, like put up a tough exterior. Invulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> Step one, Step one. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm unmoved by what's happening. <laughs> and vulnerability essentially is the cornerstone of what it means to be authentic and what it means to be empathetic. And if you think about that from a leadership standpoint, it's the cornerstone of authentic leadership and empathetic leadership. So if you think about it, we can't be authentic without first being vulnerable. We can't be empathetic without connecting with a vulnerability within ourselves. And so when we allow ourselves, you know, and vulnerability is not weakness, right? It's, it's about strength. It's the strength of allowing ourselves to be seen as we are. It's the strength of allowing that inside self to match the outside self that's shown to the world. Now, in extreme cases, when people are invulnerable, and this is incredibly heartbreaking when it happens, you know, especially in creative communities, but across the globe, is you know, someone will have been out at a party or interacting with friends, and they go home, and they end their life. And that's the antithesis of what it means to be vulnerable because someone was deeply struggling inside and yet it was too difficult or too scary to, to be vulnerable, to allow that inside self to match the outside self that we show to the world. And so when we have the courage to do this, to, to share our resilient story, to share the challenges that we're going through, then we can get the appropriate resources, information, relationships, you know, support that we need in those moments of challenge. And this is some of the incredibly beautiful work that HiFi is doing by creating a space, a community for artists to be able to come together, to be vulnerable, to be authentic, to be empathetic with one another and to create these safer and braver spaces to have these conversations. 
And I do love the open source nature of the EQ platform in that regard, because it's not just about providing information. There's almost like a two-way communication happening here with the open source nature of it. And it's going to create a platform where creatives can be vulnerable. I encourage our viewers and listeners to check out EQ.house and, uh, you know, get on get in on the ground floor of what's going to be a really cool uh, platform and publication because it's only just begun. And let me ask uh, this question to Taryn Height. Why did you had sort of talked about this a little bit, but why did you want to go with resilience as the first topic for this platform? That is a great question. Um, I think the main reason why we wanted to go with resilience as our first topic is because of the program that we've been building out with Taryn for our artists that we work with in our artist development group um, as part of our artist lab side of the company. So we work with those artists in A&R and digital development, team building, um, but we've really, really been proud of the work we've done uh, with Dr. Taryn and building out this program, which um, has been one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with our artists and we're moving into a group model where these artists can come together. More of that emphasis on community where, um, you know, members of our staff can also say, you know, me too. I struggle with resilience in leadership on the industry side. We all do. And for other artists to share their experiences and their strength and, you know, changes that they've made in their lives too. It's, it's a really powerful program that we've seen in action in our little incubator of artists that, we just wanted to open up um, to the public and make available in some way, shape and form to artists and their teams. And, you know, they don't get like the same, you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one coaching that the artists in our artist lab do, but I'm really hoping that some of this work will inspire, um, you know, record labels and agencies and management teams to kind of build and cultivate similar groups with their artists and have these open conversations about, um, the roadblocks between the artists and really creating their best art and being um, their most sustainable selves. One can certainly hope, and proliferating these kind of conversations throughout the industry would be huge. And so, yeah, I love resiliency as a topic, and I certainly love, as well, the next topic you guys are doing right now, which uh, fits perfectly with the topic that JC and I were talking about in the first segment, you guys are talking all about NFTs and blockchain for uh, mm -hmm. issue number two of your platform. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we've taken a strong stance at HiFi um, on NFTs and the presence of Web3 and just that being an imperative part of where the music industry is going. I think we compared a lot to um, labels and teams that were focused on making cds when spotify and streaming was happening it's kind of like you either jump on board or you're gonna get lost in the shuffle um we also see it as a really great opportunity for artists to connect to their fans in new ways think about their art in different ways just expand with the technology and where technology is going um and we've hired this past year i think about two months ago we hired um jack spallone who's our head of crypto um, we've worked together in the past on numerous um, album releases on the Ethereum blockchain, and he comes from Ujo and Consensus and is an expert in that field. So the way that Taryn has been um, kind of our editor and leader for this first issue, Jack is going to do that for the second. And I think it's a topic, too, similar to resilience, that 
people don't quite know about but are interested in. Um, we're just starting to scratch the surface with, you know, what can be done with new technologies in blockchain and where that can go. And I think for the music industry, uh, we, we've talked about numerous, we decided not to make an issue just on blockchain because we're like, we could go into royalties and tracking <laughs> and all sorts of different avenues. But we've done um, a bit of work in the NFT space. We recently launched um, an NFT with David Lynch and Interpool, which we were super excited about. And we want to, same way as we're, you know, we're building and learning about resiliency, we're doing a lot behind the scenes to build and learn with artists about NFTs and blockchain. So our next issue will be focused on NFTs, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have some other blockchain focused um, issues in more specific areas down the line. I love the deep dives that you guys do into these music industry and entertainment industry topics. It's really cutting edge stuff, topical stuff, stuff that really matters to the creators that check out this program. So hats off to what you're doing. Please keep the great work coming. Again, listeners, you can find out more about this by going to eq.house, which I still submit the coolest top level domain I've ever heard. And then you can find out more about Dr. Stayskull's work by visiting www.resilience-leadership.com. Now, before we let you two go, we'd like to ask each of you the same final question. We'll start with uh, Taryn Haight. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Wow. Lots of tips. I would say number one for me is, well, two things. One, because we're talking about resilience, Put your mental health first um, always comes first before anything else. And I think that kind of leads into the second, which is um, own your fans, like own your relationships with your fans, focus on direct to fan models, you know, Instagram, TikTok, other platforms are great, but the more you can do direct to your fans, connecting with them, talking to them, building with them. Um, I think both of those points will help you grow a really sustainable career. Great, great answers. Now, Dr. Stasco, you get the advantage here because you already heard the question and had some time to think about it. But do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Well, I would a thousand percent support everything that Taryn Haight said. And my addition would be um, this idea that we talk about with the con with the concept of resilience, which is what scares you is sacred. And um, we won't deep dive into my dyslexia, but I looked very, I look very closely at words because I don't read them correctly. And I recognize that the word scared and the word sacred are essentially the same word, just with the C in a different place. And what I know from working with a lot of creators is there's a belief that if something scares me or I feel afraid, then maybe it's the not, it's not the right thing. And what I want to share is if you if it scares you, it's probably absolutely the right thing. And not only is it the right thing, if you're not scared, it probably isn't the right thing. You're probably not pushing yourself or the, the envelope of what you can contribute and accomplish. So often in our society, and I'll land the plane here, we think of fear as being a bad thing. And so what we get to say when we think about what scares us is sacred is we flip that script on its head and we say, what scares us is likely not something I should run from, but likely my most sacred opportunity for, de for development and growth and contribution. I, I fully co-sign that. And I, I'll tell you in my own 
professional work and my work in the entertainment industry or in business, I find more and more, especially as I get older, that that tends to be the biggest determinant of whether I do something. It's like a switch that goes off for me where if an opportunity comes along and I go, oh, my God, that's frightening. It's going to take me a thousand steps to make that happen. I'm only like five percent prepared for that. A switch goes off where I'm like, well, now I got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to figure it out along the way because because those things because uh, part of what I think, at least for me, when I'm scared, I'm also scared because of how exciting it is and how I'm afraid of it not happening. And because of all that, that means I have to do it. And so I think that that's part of that fear drive that you're talking about there, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I, lo- I love your your riff on that chord, if you will, pun intended. <laughs> right on thank you both so much for joining us this week this has been an absolute treat i know you're going to have more uh, publications coming out with eq we want you to keep us in mind whenever you want to come back and talk about them some more because you you are definitely on the same wavelength with our program and we love having you on awesome we would love that thank you so much all right thank you all so so much much. it's been such a pleasure later ah i dig that man that they are they're on top of that stuff. I love the guests that just really have the same message that we do, that talk about the same stuff that we do, that are kind of it almost as if like we're listening to each other's publications because we're talking about topics at the same time. <laughs> like we're talking about NFTs yeah. in the first segment, and then their their issue number two of EQ is all about NFTs and blockchain. So Yeah. And I think a, a lot of what they brought up about how to be creative and keep going in the industry is something that is mentioned quite a bit on the show, no matter who we have on. Um, so I can't wait to hear more um, about what they are doing in the realm of resiliency. Yeah, this is such an important topic. And I I love her definition of it in the sense that it's, you know, resiliency isn't just your ability to withstand adversity, but it's withstanding it and it enhancing you. And that it's not about, you know, Teflon, right? It's not about like, I'm going to, as I whack my microphone, it's not about putting up armor and just letting the bullets bounce off you. It's understanding that every piece of adversity is a learning experience. Every piece of adversity is a growth experience. And for artists, since you're going to get all this adversity anyway, because that's just part and parcel of being a creator, you might as well use them for opportunities for growth. Yeah. I, I kept thinking about the metaphor of like the sword that bends doesn't break. You know, the idea of that if you are too hard, if you're too much like Teflon, you think that you are invulnerable, you're probably going to break. And that's kind of the idea is that you need to be a bit more flexible, especially in this industry where things are going to pull you any which way. There are going to be projects that you're just not sure what path they're going to lead you down, but they could be really good growth opportunities if you're not brittle. Um, if you're not trying to be this, you know, rock hard wall wall that just won't move anywhere, you know, some sort of unbreakable thing, um, you'll probably get broken pretty easily. So um, just really good messages all throughout. I dig that. Snap, snap, snap. Very good. <laughs> I see Lauren in the green room, like snapping as well. She's digging that too. Great stuff, JC. Next week, our guest is going to be Rena Sagal, entertainment attorney. Really cool. Great analysis. She's a huge advocate for indie creators. I know she's going to have some great info for us next week, so that's going to be pretty fun. And I had a lot of fun with you this week, JC. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you for having me.
And thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week. Break.